Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, we will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then, we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. On today's episode of Love Your Diagnosis, I'm about to interview Kat Seddon, who was diagnosed with breast cancer and the prognosis was to have both her breasts taken off, chemo and radiation. And when she was diagnosed, she thought, mm, I actually lost my mum to cancer and had to watch her go through it. Do I actually want to be part of that when I really feel that it was the treatment that killed my mum instead of at the actual cancer? This journey with Kat today is a very, very interesting one because this woman has researched so much into alternative ways of treating her cancer and to this date she has cured herself of it with change of lifestyle, a different approach to her life, cutting out alcohol and lots of other therapies. So tune in to all the morsels of gold that Kat has to share with, with you about what her journey entailed and what successes she had in helping with her breast cancer. <laughs> So I want to welcome Kat Seddon to the show today and we're just going to get straight into it because that's what I love to do is just like puncture the whole point of why we're together. And um, so I'll I'll start by saying hello. Hi, Lainey. And the very first question I have for you is what were you diagnosed with, how long ago, and just a little bit of a brief description of what it is that you went through. Okay, so it was 2018 and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It had actually, I found out a little bit of time later, it had metastasized into eight of my 24 lymph nodes. That's when it got a bit heavy, but um, yeah, so that was my diagnosis and that was three years ago. So when you say metastasized, was that, had it already metastasized before you got diagnosed? No, so, well, I didn't know. So uh, we were building a house and something, I don't know what made me do this, but I decided that I wanted to have an um, ultrasound, a breast ultrasound, and I did. And the uh, stenographer found something 
that looked a little suspicious. So I, but I didn't have any symptoms. I didn't have any reason to be suspicious. And so, you know, I still wasn't concerned. They sent me to a clinic up in Brisbane to have further assessment. And there they did a 3D mammogram, another ultrasound. I'm just trying to remember what else they did. And eventually they found a little tiny something right up the back of my breast of which they biopsied. And then I got a phone call in the curtain shop in the industrial estate actually from from that clinic to say that it was that the cells that they'd taken from the biopsy were breast cancer cells. They told you that on the phone. Over the phone, great way to get a cancer diagnosis. So the poor woman in the curtain shop, I just burst into tears. <laughs> As she'd actually had her own cancer experience, so she was pretty good. That seems bizarre that they would say it on the phone. Usually you get, uh, you know, you get an email saying come and see the doctor or, you know. Well, it was a clinic up in, you know, that's all they did. They just, yeah, did sort of further investigations on breast cancer stuff. So, so then the whole thing starts with cancer where everything's urgent. So I urgently had to go and even though allegedly these lumps were small or this lump was small, I still urgently had to go and have surgery to remove that. And then they do a thing called a sentinel node biopsy where they take the closest draining lymph nodes. So they get you in beforehand and they inject you with dye and they see where your lymph nodes drain to. And then when they're doing the surgery to take out the lump or the lumpectomy, they take out those lymph nodes just to check them. And they took out three of them. And so I still wasn't all that concerned when I was, even when I was having the surgery. But then about six days after the surgery, I got another phone call from my surgeon saying that it was in three of the three lymph nodes that they'd removed and that I needed to go and have an immediate PET scan to see where else it was in my body. And that's when I really started to get frightened because that's metastases, that's, that's spreading cancer. Before diagnosis, can you just give us a little picture of what your life was like? You know, were, were you living a healthy lifestyle or were you, you know, were you, were you drinking, were you eating a lot of sugar? Because we'll get onto diet a bit later. But Yeah, I thought I was living a healthy life. I mean, I've always been a healthy eater. You know, I've had always had a real focus on eating organic, fresh, lots of vegetables. I definitely had health challenges before the diagnosis. I worked in a really stressful job and I was definitely drinking too much alcohol to try to manage that stress. And I also was aware that that I was struggling with my health. I mean, I was 56 or something when I was diagnosed and um, issues with my sleeping. I had a lot of digestive issues. Despite what I thought my health was, I definitely wasn't very healthy. Um, I can see now in retrospect, but at the time, you know, anybody would have looked at my lifestyle or looked at me and thought that I was a really healthy person. But as you say, you were hiding a little little dirty secret, which was stress and yeah. and alcohol. So to the outside world, what we display is one thing, but then, you know, what's going on the inside is actually part of what I believe, what causes all these little bits of disease. It, it takes something like that to make you kind of wake up and go, all right, I got to take a really good look at this because I'm at the business end of my life. Yeah, definitely. So I guess. Yeah. So how long between when you basically got that call in the curtain shop and when you were on lying on the table 
having surgery. No time to think about it. Yeah, two and a half weeks. It's pretty quick. You know, what I discovered is they categorize when you get diagnosed with cancer, they categorize it really quickly. And they, you know, if you're a category, like, you know, I was a category A, which meant that I had to be dealt with within three weeks. Wow. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And that's the thing for people when they get a cancer diagnosis is there's just all this urgency, which I've since learned. It's not so urgent. You don't need to rush at it. You really don't. Why do you think they they do that? Is it for your benefit? Is it for their benefit? I don't know why they do that. So you didn't even get a chance to basically digest. Did you have to go and see a specialist doctor? I did. I had to go and see a surgeon. Yeah, she booked me straight in pretty much within, yeah, two weeks, which which freaks you out. Like I thought the the whole urgency was just around me, which just made me even more frightened about you know, why there was such an urgent, see, I mean, I've since, um, you know, I've since learned that, you know, it can take anywhere between kind of six and 10 years for a cancer tumour to grow. And then the same thing happened with my lymph nodes. Once they'd discovered the lymph nodes, again, they're within three weeks, I was back in hospital having all of my lymph nodes removed. At any stage, did you feel that you had a choice in this? No. So the decisions were actually made for you and you went along with it because you were afraid? Well, you don't know better, you know, and, and I think as a society we believe so much in the medical system and we have so much faith in the medical system that questioning it is really challenging and challenged. I, I certainly ended up doing that later, but at the time, yeah. And also it was really scary. I just didn't know anything about cancer. When you're very scared and you're incredibly vulnerable. That's right. And that's actually one of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast is to educate people through other people's stories that there's they have a choice. There is a choice. You need to do the research. And um, I'm excited to to talk with you more about where you went from that. Because that would be my number one message if I was going to share with anyone would be you have a choice and you don't think you do in the beginning. You're just so terrified and, you know, challenging what the doctors are telling you just seems like crazy. So the lymph nodes are gone, set the scene of what actually happened then. Did you feel that you were cancer free then? Did they say to you, you've got to do chemo? Once that once all the lymph nodes were gone and that was, that surgery was more challenging and, and kind of more heavy on my system and especially being so close to the last surgery than the original surgery, it took me a long time to recover from that, a few weeks. It's actually quite a heavy thing to do to your body to take out all of the lymph nodes. And I ended up with infection and, you know, you come home with big drains hanging out of you and I had to have community nurses coming around every day to change that. And the next appointment with the surgeon was to talk to me about what next, which was there was recommended to me to minimum have a single mastectomy but probably a good idea to consider a double mastectomy, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. So the whole lot, they wanted to do everything and I chose to do none of those things. But they were difficult choices. I started researching when I got home from that appointment because my mother, she died of cancer. She'd been diagnosed at 68 and by 70 she was dead. And watching her die I think was one of the most traumatic things that I've ever been through I 
you know, I just never thought that that would be me having to make those choices. But I just, you know, I I really still to this day believe that it was the treatment that killed her. I think the cancer probably would have possibly would have killed her at some point, but at least her quality of life would have been better up to her death, whereas the, her quality of life was just destroyed. And so having seen that and witnessed that and being so close to my mother, I um, at that point when they were recommending all of this other stuff, I was devastated and that's when I started to research. Great. So this this is good. This is where the story pivots. Up until now you've been compliant and you've gone, yeah, take that out, do this, I'll do that, I'll bend over, I'll do what you say because I don't know any better. And then when it gets down to potentially removing your, both your boobs, do people say boobs anymore? I don't know. I think so, Yeah. Well, so I started to research and I started to ask questions. So the first question I asked about the mastectomy was, will it stop the cancer from coming back? Is that the purpose? You know, and the stats were, no, it doesn't stop it from coming back. You know, they can cut both your breasts off. It can still come back in your chest wall, cavity, etc. So really the reason that they cut your breasts off is because I had what are called fibrous, dense breasts, which... I think, you know, I've since learned most breasts are fibrous and dense and it makes it difficult to pick up the cancer. So they cut it, cut your breasts off so that it makes it easier to detect. And I was like, that seems like a pretty radical thing to do to your body to make it easier to detect cancer should it come back. Of course, I was totally invested in ensuring I survived, you know, more than anybody else. And so I just decided to approach everything with a really open mind. And so I did go along to the oncologist because I wasn't going to outrightly say no to anything, but I just wanted information. So I went along to the oncologist with um, actually Chris Wark's he, he gives, he's got a list of 20 questions that you can get off his website to ask the oncologist, which were incredibly empowering. So you found a guy called Chris Wark and, and who is he? So he's somebody who's had a cancer diagnosis himself, recovered using nutritional therapies and alternative therapies, and um, now he's a re- he's an advocate and an educator, I guess. And he's got a lot of resources for people who are, you know, who have been diagnosed with cancer to give you a choice. And one of them was these 20 questions for your oncologist. So I kind of went into the oncologist armed with these 20 questions and the first question or the well, I got to the second question and the oncologist was just looking at me like, who are you? How dare you be questioning me? Basically wouldn't answer any of my questions and actually sent a, a letter back to my GP and to the surgeon. It was, yeah, quite an unpleasant letter about me and how uncool I was. I was friendly. I really genuinely wanted the information. So then I got sent along to a second oncologist who I asked the same questions to and just decided not to go ahead with chemotherapy. Chemotherapy can just have profoundly damaging effect on your body. Um, and, you know, what they said it was for too was to mop up any leftover cells that they that they felt like they might not have got out during surgery as a preventative again. So I decided not to do that and I also then went to see a, an, another specialist about having radiotherapy um, and similarly they weren't very okay with me asking lots of questions and they weren't really answering the questions satisfactorily so 
So what, like what sort of questions are we talking about? Well, you know what? I actually can't remember. I'm sorry. I will put a, we'll put a link to, to that. And, it, and I am interviewing him in a couple of weeks, which I'm really excited about because, yeah, he's a wealth of info and, and people are paying attention to what he's saying and it's working for people. His information was incredibly empowering. And that's what you need because, as you said before, you're in the doctor's office feeling all this kind of fear and not knowing what you're up against and whatever, and then you start to do the research and you find like-minded people and you find people with success stories and then that's the empowering part, you know. You go, well, wow, I didn't realise that I could do this, this, this and this. In your case, what did you end up doing instead of the chemo? and the radiation? I ha- I've got a partner who's uh, a fantastic researcher. I discovered researching not on Dr. Google but um, on PubMed. So you're really looking at science there. And a couple of things that had been recommended was IV vitamin C. Um, and, and, you know, so we, we researched that and there was a lot of science behind that. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this IV ascorbic acid. One woman that did it herself and basically burnt her veins. Oh, wow, yeah. Because of the acid, the ascorbic acid. So you've got to be really careful with it. And and so I just want to know a little bit more about your experience with this IV uh, vitamin C. What did it look like? What did you do? So I definitely would, definitely wouldn't be um, encouraging people to do it themselves. No way. In the beginning, in the early days when I was trying to mop up um, what potentially could have been left behind from the surgeries I did a couple of times a week I would do up to 30 grams of vitamin C um, in a saline solution at a doctor's surgery it's really expensive unfortunately but there is an incredible amount of science around its effectiveness in killing the fast dividing cells of cancer but also the cancer stem cells and is that because it builds the immune system to fight it or is it a whole different thing? No, it's to do with oxidation and, yeah, like there's the science is I'm, I'm not going to be very good at articulating the science, but there is a lot of science about why vitamin C works. Um, but it's got to be really high dose. It needs to be IV. I mean, I also now take a lot of liposomal C, which is a really common thing in, can- in the cancer world. Yeah, there's particular doses up to 60 grams is, is what is used. And I think some people don't all, always tolerate it either. And someone like me who's got really weak veins, that's a bit of an issue as well. You know, a port ends up being becoming a really handy thing. Some people elect to have a port put in because the vitamin C does destroy your veins as well. Yes, well, it's an acid. Mm. Uh, so what type, I take liposomal C as well just as a preventative, but what would you consider a high dose? I take 20, 10 to 20 grams. So it's a liquid though. How do you equate a gram to a liquid? So my so I get one from a compounding pharmacist who says a teaspoon is 1,000 milligrams. So, you know, I don't know, I take like three tablespoons. Right. <laughs> I don't I don't say much anymore. I used to when, um, you know, when I was still thinking that I wasn't clear. I mean, the other thing that I do do regularly is, is to monitor. I don't use things like mammograms and I, I do use the conventional blood tests, but I use another test called a circulating tumour cell test, which is a European test that, does test your blood but it tests it for circulating tumor cells 
And my last three of those have been completely clear, so I kind of backed off a little bit on the vitamin C. I, I also did, like I did so many things in the beginning. I did go down the CBD path and I remember trying to talk to the oncologist about CBD and, and they just did not want to know about it. But, yes, I, I did go down the CBD and THC path and I was actually prescribed that. You can actually be legally prescribed that now in Australia. And there are question marks around whether CBD and THC is good for hormone-positive cancer. I just think there's not enough known, unfortunately, yet that, you know, it becomes a little bit of a personal choice. But I also used um, things like hyperbaric, oxygen therapy, um, hypothermia. Yeah, heat, heat kills cancer cells. And I took a different angle and looked at trying to eradicate the, any cancer stem cells. With cancer, there's the fast dividing cells which create the tumour. Then there's the stem cells and they're the step cells that are immortal. And chemotherapy doesn't eradicate those. In fact, it actually can make them more, even more potent down the track and you know can be a, you know a big part of why people's cancer comes back and it's generally never the primary of cancer that kills people it is the the secondary or the metastases trying to eradicate any cancer stem cells which are the immortal cells is the way to go and so there's an incredible array of things that do that but also there's a lot of um, things that you can take like turmeric boswellia and a lot of herbs and so it's 2021 now are you completely free of any cancer in your body at this stage? Uh, yes, apparently, allegedly. I don't. It's a <laughs> Do you know what the winning thing was for you? Was it just an experimentation of of all the things that you're talking about? I think the winning thing was when I came across metabolic pathway blocking. It's something that I've I've seen work in much more adv- advanced cancers, and it's the thing that gives me peace of mind and that was um with Jane McClelland but when I found her book how to starve your cancer really understood you know the the thing I really liked about that was that it was a she, she's a really good researcher she's in the med, she was in the medical profession herself and it was a different theory but it made a lot of it like it had a lot of science there was a lot of evidence it was evidence-based and that's pretty much what I've done, along with, of course, along with, I mean, I think there's a reason why you get cancer in the first place. It's not random. I don't believe it's genetic with it, all the research I've done. I think it is very much lifestyle. And so I've really had to, you know, I think ill health is a long time in the making. And I've had to really peel back like, the, you know, the onion layers of my health. And, and that's, that's a work in progress. And, you know, my work now is to keep myself healthy. So what's metabolic pathway blocking in a nutshell? In a nutshell, cancer is a, like it, it, it's got three different metabolic feeding pathways. You know, so one, the big ones is sugar. Metabolic pathway blocking is blocking all three pathways so that you starve cancer of any of its fuel. And, and you can do that either using a combination of off-label um, drugs, or I did it using supplements. We didn't touch on diet, but I really want to because I know how massive that played. Diet was huge, so I, I thought I already had a really healthy diet. So something I lo- I did a crash course in was blood sugar. I, I've learned so much about that. So I had really dysregulated blood sugar. My blood sugar w- went really high, and also then would you know crash down really low and 
that is a real driver of cancer. Sugar is a driver of cancer and it doesn't have to be that you eat refined sugar. It can just be that your blood sugar is really dysregulated. So I changed my diet to away from grains and fruit and just anything that spiked my blood sugar. In fact, what I did was I got one, a glucose monitor, stuck it to my arm for two weeks and scanned myself with everything I ate. Uh, juices, for example, can be really blood sugar spiking as well. So at first I, I went vegan, but it didn't really suit me. And I don't think that there should be real dogma around diets. And I think diet's quite a personal thing, but uh, I definitely don't eat much dairy because dairy is generally full of estrogens and that's not good for any kind of hormone-positive cancer. Carbs would spike sh- blood sugar. Carbs, so I don't eat carbs. So I, I kind of pretty much went keto, but I'm not so strict anymore. Of course, alcohol spikes your blood sugar. I'm going to spike my blood sugar after this, I think, if that's the case. <laughs> and oh, the other thing I did that really changed my health in, in a really dramatic way was intermittent fasting. So I now eat in a really time-restricted window and at first that was difficult to do because I would get hungry or hangry, which is a real symptom of dysregulated blood sugar. Now it's so easy. I basically eat my first meal of the day around midday, my second meal of the day at six, around 6, 6.30 and that's it. And I do not get hungry and I don't snack and graze. The human body really wasn't designed to snack and graze and, you know, I have so many calories. The benefits of intermittent fasting for my health have been phenomenal. Yeah, I've been doing it for years. Love it. Yeah. One more little quick thing. Fruit. I want to discuss fruit because it seems that you're quite knowledgeable in all of this. Fruit has connotations for different people and um, I haven't eaten fruit for a decade for just personal reasons and you know what the sugar does but there are so many people that say no you need fruit and it's not it's not the refined sugars and you and you need that fruit but in the case of cancer from what I've read and understand that that the sugars in fruit are still part of what could feed the cancer is that correct? Definitely so it's not so much any particular kind of sugar that will drive cancer growth it's more just that metabolic pathway of the glucose pathway being elevated you know i think i look i think if you want to eat any any kind of fruit then the way to do it is to balance it and eat it with some fat like yogurt and things like that but i i don't think it's necessary i mean i'm like i said i, I think i'm the healthiest i've ever been and um it's a life minus fruit you know i think it's it's like when people say cereal's really healthy well you know i, I completely disagree with that and you know that that old that old-fashioned fruit fruit and yogurt for breakfast was considered to be really healthy too but I'm definitely healthier now I've stopped doing that yeah beautiful which is empowering for anyone to hear really because it's you taking personal responsibility for the fact that you are in charge of whether you your cancer will come back or not you know in a sense so what lifestyle changes did did you make from what you were doing um I stopped I was working at a really stressful job uh, and I just gave up Oh, well, alcohol was probably, you know, a really big one. So you've quit alcohol altogether? Uh, no, I did for a while. I quit it altogether for probably the first year or two, year and a half. Now I've just got a very different relationship with alcohol. I'll- just tequila, right? <laughs> just the odd shot. No, I just um, definitely have a different relationship with alcohol and drink a lot less of it. The kind of psychological side of my health, which I think is probably the hardest, I left until last 
that's that's kind of unraveling at the moment. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to find. I'm about to do deep immersion therapy actually using um, psilocybin and MDMA to kind of look into what else might be going on and who knows what I'll find there. Would you say that you love your diagnosis? Would you say that your diagnosis has made you open up to looking at your life in a whole different way that you appreciate now? Absolutely. I probably about six months ago, I said, and I couldn't believe I was saying it. In some ways, cancer was was a really great thing that had happened to me because I completely overhauled my life. You know, I've got really strong meditation practices now. I'm, I'm a lot more grateful. I'm, you know, I've removed stress. It's a second chance. It's a second chance. I tell you what I am really grateful for, Lainey, though, is that I had the tenacity and the courage to question um, what I was being told to do. Even in a space of, of such huge fear, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to myself to this day that I had the kind of wherewithal and balls to, to not do that because nobody was supporting me. At the time, my family were all terrified and just wanted me to do the conventional treatment. You know, my partner even, I mean, he was supportive, but, you know, he said he would have chosen the conventional treatment. And so really nobody was going, yeah, go girl, you know, like good on you. It is a pretty lonely place. And, you know, it's a lot of hard work choosing an alternative path. Like, you know, I I understand why people um, just hand that power over because, you know, it's it's a, it's a big responsibility, and really nobody's nobody's really looking after me except me. I've got to be my own health advocate, and sometimes that's exhausting. Hundred percent, and and high five to you because that's how I looked at my own healing journey. And the thing is that you can never really switch off. No. So once you start on this thing, it's a it's a lifetime commitment because if you switch off, you fucked in a sense. Especially for cancer, because you know you just you do live with that kind of pretty constant I wouldn't it's not a fear because I feel quite well equipped if it does come back but you know it'll be a bit of a bummer if it does come back and you know I need to be vigilant I need to remain vigilant you know I've got a very different relationship with my health now it's a bit more life and death and then you know that immortality that we all think we have it's it just comes down to personal responsibility too so Kat's wonderfully agreed to be open to anyone that wants to contact her about the stuff that she's that she's used herself or if you want to if you're on a a similar healing journey and you want to contact her her contact details will be in the podcast notes the last little thing we'll touch on is if you've got some parting words which I know that you did mention before to people that are going through something similar what would it be or probably the number one thing I'd like to say to people is it's not urgent and you do have a choice it won't seem like that at the time, but 100% you have a choice. In fact, there ends up being so many choices that you can make. And you've got your boobs. Good choices. And I've got my boobs. You've got yes. your boobs. You can shake yeah. them around. Um, yeah. I'm very impressed with your story, Kat. Yeah, for the fact that you rose above it and just went, I'm going to try something else. Yeah, and I am really happy if anyone wants to contact me. There's just there's the most overwhelming amount of information that I really just, there's no way I can adequately share even the tip of the iceberg on this podcast. And I know it's not really about the particulars, but... 
yeah, if anybody does want to contact me with, you know, just just to even talk through what the options or what the choices for people might be, um, I'm really happy to do that. We'll put a few links up in the podcast notes too of some of the things that you've talked about as well so people can go on their own little research rabbit hole. But thank you so, so, so much for sharing your story. It's really important, particularly yours because of there yeah, you've done so much else it hopefully it will empower people to keep you know searching for themselves so thank you for being part of this thanks Amy. thanks for doing the podcast and giving people all that information and seeing that you know showing people there is a choice see you cat bye that was once again a really great interview with someone who absolutely knows intimately the ins and outs of their diagnosis because Kat has spent the last three years looking at ways where she could attack her breast cancer without actually needing to get the double mastectomy which was what was proposed for her plus the chemo and the radiation which is what the doctors had recommended as a preventative. I guess the real take-home message here for people in situations similar to Kat especially anyone with cancer, is that you do have a choice. There is no urgency. This is not the first time I've heard this in relation to cancer. It's probably a topic of discussion that doesn't have a real answer to it. Every surgeon, every GP has their reasoning. Uh, For someone that's dealing with cancer, though, there's always this urgency that's coming from a surgeon or a doctor to get your breast taken off, take out part of your bowel, go straight in for surgery and rip out the part that has is the cancerous part. Are they just covering their asses or have they got the best interests of the patient in mind? It's a topic of discussion that probably is being had all over the world. But in Kat's case, that was her take-home message, is there absolutely is no urgency in having to make a decision once you've been diagnosed. Take your time, find a GP, that actually wants to work with you and research into lots of things. In Kat's case, she had some IV vitamin C. She looked into hyperbaric oxygen therapy. She went down the metabolic pathway blocking. She looked into Chris Walk and uh, a book from Jane McClelland. And she also even attempted CBD and THC. So there is not an urgency. I'll state that again. Cat's a really great success story in what you can achieve if you put your mind to it. And also, as she says to herself, she will always, for the rest of her life, be grateful for her tenacity and courage to question what she was being directed to do instead of just accepting it. So that is a big win for all people who are going on a health journey and want to question their medical professionals. Never be afraid. If you enjoyed today's show, at this stage, all you have to do is listen and tell your friends about it because there could just be a story on here that they've got diagnosed with or that they can relate to where they get to think outside the square. And a few seeds might be planted in their brains about other ways of dealing with it besides just what the original diagnosis and prognosis is. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about other options for what you can utilize for your wellness journey, click on the link below to the Happy Herb Company. They've got lots of amazing products to assist in getting you started in your wellness journey. Thanks again for listening. I'm Lainey Chait.
Oh, <laughs> 